there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, Scotty is showing me a very high-octane, exciting film starring, of course, Harrison Ford. Scotty, what movie did we watch today? Well, we got on a plane and we watched Air Force One. Yes, we didn't actually watch it on a plane, no. although that would have been kind of funny. Th- that would be kind of in poor taste to have that available to watch on a plane, wouldn't it? I guess hijacking of a plane, yeah. Yeah, well, well much. I guess. Yeah, I, there are worse things to go on a plane. Sure, I mean, World Trade Center, perhaps. <laughs> that would be in poor taste. Castaway. <laughs> I, I was thinking Con Air. Con Air is just so stupid. I mean, this is kind of uh, closer to Con Air than uh, World Trade Center as far as believability. <laughs> Let's say that. Well, yeah, it's a 90s action movie, so... Yes, a typical 90s action movie, I would say. Released in 1997. And I have to admit, like, I haven't seen this movie in a while, but this is before Harrison really became a crotchety old man, and I still think he still brings it pretty well. Here's the thing about this movie, right? On paper, and in some of the execution, it's stupid. It doesn't make sense, logically, in most ways, I would say, actually. However, I do think that Harrison Ford gives a really good performance, enough so that it really elevates the film as a whole. In fact, I saw him bring an emotion to his character, who, by the way, is the fucking president, you know, of America. And um, he brought an emotional core to this performance that I was not expecting and was pleasantly surprised by. So, yeah, I think if not for Harrison Ford, this movie would be a lot lower on the rating scale for me. Not only just him, though. Gary Oldman... I mean... mm, ...is a bit over the top, yes. Oh, a bit? Do you (laughs) think so? But... Do you think so? But he's still quite enjoyable. I mean, I love Gary Oldman. Don't get me wrong. Serious Black... All day, every day. But, um, I mean, his performance in this is pretty cookie-cutter as far as a action movie villain is concerned. I, I wouldn't say there's anything particularly fantastic about his performance. Not that it's bad, but it's not... It, it's not bringing me the same oomph that Harrison Ford is. Because Harrison Ford just perfectly balances badassery and heartwarming dad vibes in this film and I, I gotta say it brings it home for me let's let's go through some preliminary fun facts all right this movie was directed by wolfgang peterson who has a pretty uh interesting assortment of films in his repertoire including uh troy the poseidon remake which of course we did the review of the original poseidon adventure on our show shoot the flick here and he also directed the never-ending story which i mean it's an eclectic vibe this guy's got yeah that's just those four together including this one yeah quite quite the movie night (laughs) yeah it's a weird set of movies but the film was also written by a guy named andrew w marlowe i was looking through his filmography And the only one I even recognized, really, was a movie called End of Days, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Isn't that the one where he fights the devil? I believe so. I've never seen it personally, but that's what I know it as. And listen, the script in this movie is just really nothing special whatsoever. It really is not great. Again, I feel this movie is really elevated by the performances, mainly Harrison Ford. But I also did want to mention the score of this movie because that also does a bang-up job at really elevating the drama and therefore my interest in this film. It was composed by Jerry Goldsmith, who we've talked about previously on the show. He did the score for Alien and uh, Total Recall, which both of those movies we did reviews on in the past. And originally, apparently, Randy Newman was hired for the score, which is fucking interesting. (laughs) But uh, eventually he was let go because his score was seen as too serious to the point of parody. It seems like Jerry Goldsmith was hired for his understanding of the assignment. (laughs) Jerry Goldsmith definitely 
comes in and does what needs to be done here. He literally completed the score as a replacement to Randy Newman's score in 12 days. Count them, 12 days. (laughs) So for what he was given, he did a great job. Let's look at it this way. As I said earlier on, this is an action movie in the late 90s. Like we weren't having Tom Cruise jump out of airplanes yet or stuff like that. We were just getting like, you go to the movie, you have a good time. You go home. Well, just to be clear, I mean, this is definitely seen as part of the Die Hard-esque action movie. This is literally like... Die Hard on a Plane. Yeah, that's what it's known as, uh, from what I understand, which is accurate. I would say Die Hard is the gold standard. This is clearly a subpar version of that. However, um... It did make a shit ton of money with a budget of $85 million. It made $315 million. I'm surprised we didn't get an Air Force Two out of this. But, you know, that would just be too far. I don't think you would have gotten Harrison to sign on to do it again. Well, he is kind of uh, adverse to sequels a lot of the time, except if you count Indiana Jones, of course. And, uh, of course, just as my last really preliminary fun fact, I would say, I have to mention this movie was nominated for two Oscars. It was nominated for Best Sound and Best Editing, but lost to, get ready for it, Titanic. Because isn't it always Titanic in 1997? Fuck Titanic. Oh, no. Honestly, I'm actually shocked this was even nominated for any Oscars. Me too, actually. Because like I said, it is on its face pretty fucking stupid. It's dopey at times, It's but that's action movies. You get the dumb, stupid stuff, but you're like, I can watch this movie, I can have a good time, and that's all I really need. Harrison's pretty much great in whatever he does, even if well, it is... I'm sure he's got a couple of duds in there. Well, I'm sure, but even if it's a dud of a movie, he still brings it, and that's the difference between him and a lot of other actors. I would agree with that, sure. I definitely will say that for what this is, which is basically a a kind of mindless action flick, just, you know, to have fun with and watch shit blow up in terrible 90s CGI, we got what we paid for, so to speak. I'm ready to get into the nitty and the gritty, if you are, sir. Yes, let us board the plane. Oh my god. Not Harrison Ford's plane. Doesn't he actually have a pilot's license? Like, wasn't there a whole thing where he crashed an actual plane? Yeah, he crashed in the golf course. Oh, yes. fun. Fun. I want a movie about that. About him crashing a plane? Yeah. Like, a legendary actor, maybe coming upon his twilight years in the biz, just not giving any fucks anymore, and he decides, I'm going to fly a plane, and then just, whoops a daisy yeah, he's fine. He walked away from it. Made two more I, Star Wars movies I after mean, it. I mean, as you do when you're Harrison Ford. You just walk away from a whole ass plane crash. Hey, he's Harrison motherfucking Ford. That's fair. So, we start off in Kazakhstan. Also, as you do, I guess. <laughs> yes, as you do. And the U.S. Secret Service is coming in and basically arresting this general in Kazakhstan. He's a, a bad guy. This whole thing is like displacing a a regime and trying to install a democracy, you know, like the U.S. does. <laughs> right, for sure, for sure. And then we go three months later, and Harrison Ford is giving a speech. Yes, uh, Harrison Ford, as I mentioned, plays the president, James Marshall. Uh, We, of course, have seen Harrison Ford on Shoot the Flick before. We did all the Star Wars movies, all the Indiana Jones movies. He was also in the movie 42, which was pretty awesome. But uh, this is a whole 20 years after the first Star Wars movie came out. Harrison Ford was paid a whole ass $20 million for this role, which comes out to about 23% of the budget. Yeah, and he earned every bit of it. I mean, fair. He he basically saved this movie, not going to lie. But uh, Harrison Ford gives a speech. He basically says, America will not bow down to terrorism. We are going to change the way we do things. And if you are a terrorist hurting people, we are coming for you. Yeah, he he really gives quite the uh, strong speech there. And uh, his team are very uh, in a tizzy about it because he went off script, man. That wasn't part of the speech. It's very much the... uh, 
you know, today is our Independence Day, says Bill Pullman from Independence Day. It's very much like that. And I will say in my research, President James Marshall from Air Force One is pretty widely considered the best fictional movie president followed closely behind by Bill Pullman from Independence Day. I would I would say that that's a pretty tight race between those two. Yeah, it's definitely up there. Those two get mentioned quite frequently. Although I will say James Marshall, I feel like, is better because he literally just kicks ass and takes names. Yeah, he is single-handedly, like, kicking ass, while uh, Bill Pullman does need Randy Quaid to save the day. Yeah, so once we get into some of the action regarding uh, Harrison Ford's James Marshall. Uh, we'll certainly talk about the cast Kodabins for this role. I think some of them are pretty interesting. So he gives a speech. His team is very upset. We meet some of his team here early on. Some of them we have seen before in other shoot-the-flick things. General, whatever his name is. He's from Howard the Duck. Yeah, he was a cop in Howard the Duck. That's uh, Lloyd the chief of staff he played a captain or something on uh, some csi show for a million years he's paul guilfoyle i think is how you say it exactly so uh, harrison ford is driving back to air force one and gary oldman is now boarding air force one (gasps) a very russian (laughs) gary oldman his character's name is ivan korsh korsh Korshinov, Korshinov, I'm going to say that's probably very incorrect, but that's as close as we're getting. Ivan, let's call him. Good old Ivan. Good old Ivan. Uh, He's played by Gary Oldman right in between his performance in Fifth Element and his performance in Lost in Space. You remember Lost in Space, don't you, dear? No, I don't, but I know it. It's it's shit, but Fifth Element was good, so it's fine. I feel like in this particular portion of Gary Oldman's career, they were just like, oh, we need a weird guy to do a funny accent. Let's call Gary Oldman. <laughs> it's just like, it, he, he was in this niche for a bit. Well, he's good at villains, and this Russian villain actually does have similarities in my head to the villain of Leon the Professional. Yeah, true, definitely, yeah. Benny, bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Gary Oldman gets on the plane. He apparently has killed uh, a camera crew and taken their identities. Yeah, along with his flunkies. Yes, his flunkies, who are assortments of people you've seen before in other things. Assortment of Russian guy. Yeah. The president arrives. He boards the plane. All he wants to do is wait for his daughter and his wife to arrive and start watching the football game. That gets spoiled for him by one of the other people on the plane. That was kind of a wah-wah moment. But uh, another thing I wanted to mention, too, is like, at one point, the uh, press secretary of this administration, she's on the plane, and she is uh, kind of showing this camera crew around, led by Gary Oldman, and she's just giving out, like, obviously, obviously expositional like little details about the plane and about the staff and it's just like oh my god okay can you make it a little less obvious as you're showing these these uh camera guys around and stuff that you're just like i need to say this so the audience knows it but here gary oldman just so you know oh the glass in the fucking windows of air force one are bulletproof as if we couldn't have inferred that with our little pea brains (laughs) Yeah, you would think that, right? Clearly something that the writer of the classic End of Days felt was necessary to put in the script. Exactly. Harrison Ford's wife and daughter board the plane. Yes, we have his wife, Grace, played by Wendy Crewson, who is also the mom in the classic Santa Claus. You know, Tim Allen, Santa Claus. And um, that's pretty much all I know her from. And then the girl Alice is played by Liesl Matthews. She obviously is there to uh, add some extra stakes when everything goes awry, you know, uh, in regards to the president's wife and daughter being also on the plane. However, uh, we get kind of a nice father-daughter moment early on in, in the film. But the way that it's written clearly is setting up that, oh, something's going to happen later. Because literally Alice is like, it reminded me of Halloween Town, actually, with Marnie, where she's like, I'm 12 years old. I'm practically a grown up. I'm so cool. Like, okay, we get it, child. You think you're so grown up, bitch. You're about to find out how grown up you are. 
But um, yeah, they they had a nice kind of little cutesy daddy daughter moment. Yeah, where Harrison's like, I just want you to be a kid for a little while longer. Yeah, okay. Good luck with that, Dad. <laughs> we learn though, there is one bad secret agent on this plane. <gasps> Which he's so fucking useless. I don't I don't get the point of him at all. Yeah. We're we're gonna get to it, but there's like two climaxes of this movie. And this guy just won't go away. Like, he just keeps popping up and just, he's pointless. He's just pointless, goddammit. Well, the thing is about him, and I thought it would come up at some point, but we never find out why. Yeah, this is Agent Gibbs, by the way, for when we reference him later, when we get irritated by his continued existence. It's Agent Gibbs. just like a badly written character so he causes gary oldman and crew to start acting because he shoots some secret service guys and throws a smoke grenade and allows gary oldman to basically take over the plane yeah he raids like a weapons area where he gets it which by the okay i get their secret service agents on the plane but like there's like 50 bajillion guns on this plane I mean, I don't know the protocol when you're, like, the president and, like, you have Secret Service and stuff. But, like, is it normal to have a whole-ass arsenal on a plane? I get. Like, I don't know. I genuinely am asking this. I really don't know. It just seems like that's not well-advised. Even if you have a Secret Service detail, obviously they have, like, handguns and stuff. But there are, like, AKs and shit and grenades and there's all this crazy weaponry on this plane and obviously they need it because their security is shit which also is just it doesn't make any sense how this random bunch of people just moseyed on the plane on and not just any plane by by the way i don't know if you realize but the the name of the movie is air force one what the the, the setting of most of this movie is air force one what what yeah, I I don't again don't know how the protocol works, but it just seems ill-advised, even if you're the president, to like, have a bajillion, literally a bajillion guns on a plane. Like even if like you had a bunch of guns, like they should not be as easy as pulling a curtain. Right. And, oh, for sure. And like tossing the guns to the bad guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess that would make more sense if you have this arsenal you know in a you know some bizarre scenario in which you would need it like the one that presents itself here i suppose but i would like why how how is it that easy to get to them Uh, it doesn't yeah a lot of fuckery has to happen a lot of incompetence has to happen for this to take place but then again that's kind of the premise for a lot of action movies and really movies in general like some general incompetence has to happen somewhere for hijinks to ensue of course but we must get the president out of here so two secret service members bring the president down to his escape pod and they get distracted in a gunfight but they still manage to deploy the escape pod. The terrible CGI flying escape pod. Ooh, oh my god, it was terrible. And Gary Oldman is pissed that the president got away. Ooh. Quotations. This is where we get introduced to the vice president. <gasps> my queen! Glenn motherfucking close oh my god you guys she was also i know we've been boasting about harrison ford because obviously right but glenn close in this film her character is oh just just fantabulous she plays the vice president Catherine bennett and uh this is just to put it in context a year after her performances in both 101 dalmatians as cruella Deville. And Mars Attacks, which is a movie that we also discussed on this very show. She's just a queen in every way. She's a badass bitch. Apparently, Glenn Close's casting in this film was a last-minute decision. So much so that she actually had to use one of her own wigs for the role because her hair was too short at the time. But uh, she was adamant about one major thing regarding this character which I think really helped shape her into like the badass bitch that she is throughout the film. So originally, I think in the script, there was some moment throughout all the fuckery that happens where 
her character, the vice president, kind of breaks down and cries and has herself a, a, a weepy moment of, of sadness slash panic or whatever. And uh, Glenn Close was like, no, 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 we will not have this because she said, and I quote, she would be doing women a disservice with such a cliched moment. And I was like... Yes, bitch. She is the vice president. She don't need to cry. She don't need to break down. She she is strong. She is beautiful. She is awesome. Well, and the thing is about this character, does she have self-doubt because she is the vice president now being forced to make decisions that the president would make? Yes, she shows that clearly. But that would be with anyone, though, male or female, I think. Well, no, yeah, of course. But she shows that just by the way she acts. She doesn't need a whole thing about crying. She handles her business otherwise she knows no we have to do this like she stands pat on certain things especially when she's face to face with our other cabinet member that's really also the thing it's like she's she's the only woman in the big room in the room where it happens right she's the only badass bitch in there no one else was in the room where it happened the room where it happened the room where it happened no one else was in the room where it happened Every single motherfucking dude in the room, at least the ones that we really uh, focus on, in some way, shape, or form, kind of slyly or not so slyly talks down to her and like tries to make her feel like she needs to be catered to by some of the male characters. However, down the line, you see the interactions between her and Harrison Ford, the president, and you realize, like, oh, he talks to her like a complete equal. Like, I want to speak to Catherine. Where's Catherine? Like, he talks to her like she's he trusts. She her. knows what she's talking about. She knows what she's doing. He's the only guy in the room where it happens that actually like completely respects her and sees her as an equal, which just makes also Harrison Ford's character more of a badass motherfucker because he's like, yeah, I don't give a fuck what these suits have to say. They don't know shit. I want to talk to Catherine. <laughs> So, the pilots of Air Force One try to land the plane to stop this terrorist takeover, but they quickly get shot and dealt with, and then there's this whole big escape scene with the plane and the Russians taking it over, and it's uh, it goofy was, as fuck. It was dumb as shit is what it was. That that was, like, the really the first time that I was like, this is stupid. Because, <laughs> like, literally the plane basically is on the ground and then the russians somehow get a hold of it again and have it take off and from what i understand like you can't just take off a plane straight up into the sky in two seconds so in all the time that it was on the ground or like an inch from the ground they couldn't wrangle it in some way shape or form they couldn't get a guy up there with a gun and be like stop police freeze something cheese anything guys cheese <laughs> i love that blooper from rush hour with jackie chan and he busts cheese and they're like no freeze jackie oh freeze sorry that was just the cutest. Sorry, that was the first uh, thing that came to my mind. But anyway, off topic. The point is, it was fucking dumb. And even dumber so, when the fucking Russians take off the plane into the sky, there's just a group of guys just running after it, you know, on their feetsies. And it's like, um, I, I think it's too late for that. I don't think you're going to catch the plane in the sky running after it on foot well the funniest thing is fucking after the plane takes off and they all stop in like a group and they stare at it like <gasps> dumb fucking look on the face <laughs> i can't even describe it in any other words other than fucking and dumb it's so stupid I, I bet you that guy who's in the front of that group though definitely puts this on his reel oh for sure but like why you have the most deer in headlights i just took a massive fart and i'm trying to hide it face like i can't it's so ridiculous. It was it was the most bungled. This is what I'm talking about when I say like, you know, incompetence leads to hijinks. Therefore, movie happens. You know what I mean? It's so ridiculous. Oh, God. So now Glenn Close has her people finally get to the president's pod, but it's empty. <gasps> I was shocked. <laughs> Shook. Shooketh. Even though I've seen this movie before, I was in other shock as well. I'll bet. <laughs> and yeah, it was so obvious because he said like 15 times when they were trying to get him in the pod, what, what about my family? I can't leave without my family, which like, you know, obviously 
we love a stand-up guy who wants to protect his family. Yes. We love that. Of course. So he, of course, right after that, you see him somewhere hiding in the plane. And you see him, we're like, oh my god, I can't believe that he's still on the plane. (gasps) (laughs) Well, Frankie's like, the one line I know from the movie would suggest that he never leaves the plane. (laughs) Oh, right. I did say that because obviously everyone, everyone, even if you haven't seen this movie, knows the line, get off my plane. So I'm like, okay, that's going to happen at some point. So like, you can't say get off my plane if you're not on the plane, right? Like, you know, that would be kind of obvious. Yes. Harrison starts sneaking around the plane, being all stealth-like. I mean, die hard on a plane, man. Although I will say I laughed out loud when it was just a static shot of some hallway in the plane. And then (laughs) literally Harrison Ford just pops his head up out of like a trap door in the floor. And he's just like. Hello there. While this is going on, Gary Oldman calls the vice president of the United States and says, I'm going to kill one person every hour. Until you release General Raddick. And the vice president says, no, (laughs) I can't do that. But there's a whole conversation and she agrees to go talk to the president of Russia. Who basically is a spineless coward. Well, he basically just says, like, if it meant that the president, if it meant that he would come home safe, then I would do it in a heartbeat. But you don't even know if he's alive. He's not in the pod. You haven't heard from him. He could be dead for all you know. Like, I'm not... I'm not risking my country, my my uh, my safety, my peace in the country for uh, no reason. So bye. <laughs> and then that was the end of that. Uh, and this is around the point where we get the introduction of the defense secretary of this administration, Walter Dean, played by, of course, Dean Stockwell of uh, Quantum Leap fame. The next leap is the leap home. Oh, liar. Anyway. Yeah, he's kind of like the main antagonist, I suppose, for Glenn Close throughout this whole thing because uh, he just... The thing about this movie, it's like it presents such an absurd scenario. Not necessarily absurd in that the president is being held captive necessarily, but just the whole situation is just so crazy that it's hard to really know like what the right thing to do is necessarily. So like... The vice president is obviously taking charge of the situation, Glenn Close, right? But then you got Dean Stockwell on the side being like, we should do this. And he's like, well, you're the vice president, which is basically just like, you know, a bullshit job. Which, I mean, I only know from West Wing that I believe that that is true, that the vice president really doesn't have a, a whole lot to do with policy stuff day to day. No, they, they literally... And they, with, like, major decisions? No, their only job, really, is to break a tie in Congress. Right. And um, so, basically, you know, Dean Stockwell is constantly challenging Glenn Close, being like, you should do this, you should do this. I should have, uh, you know, control here in this situation. I'm the defense secretary. And Glenn Close, literally, at one point, is just like, okay, go get uh, one of our, like, I think he's a guy from Congress or whatever that's an expert in the Constitution. Just go get one of those guys and we'll have him figure this thing out. While all that's happening, uh, there is one other guy I do want to introduce really quick who's on the plane. <gasps> Yay! I love this guy. William H. Macy. Yes! Major Caldwell. And he's not really important right now. Not as much right now. He's just kind of a guy that uh, assists the president. But he's amongst the hostages. Yeah, he's going to play a more substantial role in more of the second half of the, of the film. But he's William H. Macy, and we love him. This is right after Fargo, where he got his Oscar nom. So we, we adore the William H. Macy. Him and Fargo, he's such a spineless fucking... I've never seen that movie. Oh, God, Fargo's a, Fargo's a weird movie, man. I know him... I mean, I feel like a lot of people know him from that show, Shameless. I didn't really see. I've seen little bits and pieces of it, but I know him from, I think it's like an early 2000s movie. I feel like this is another movie. I tend to mention movies on here that I feel like no one knows about. And then we post the episode and it turns out I'm dead wrong. The movie Cellular, which I have on my list for you, stars Chris Evans and I think Kim Basinger. William H. Macy is in that too. And he's pretty fucking awesome in it. But yeah. Yeah. Eventually, I'll, I'll get to that if uh, if the factory, meaning 
our audience uh, so decrees. Are we calling them the factory now? The factory. Our fan base, you are now known as the factory. Oh, God. I don't know why. I just like saying the factory. Anyway. <laughs> I, I like the factory. So Harrison Ford is trying to lure a guard into a back room. And he does pretty well. He lures the guard and starts a fight with him. And he's doing well. He gets fucking German suplexed at one point, though. Oh, yeah. We got to talk about the fighting in this movie. Harrison Harrison gives his all, man. It seems like. He really does. And the thing that's... I mean, first of all, 90... I want to say 99% of the fights that Harrison Ford has in this movie begin or involve some kind of, like, spider monkey jump situation. And just, like, he throws all of his weight into every single movement going on. It's a lot. And I commend him for his commitment. That's just kind of Harrison's thing. Even Indy does it, too. Indy throws his whole body into it when he plays Indiana Jones. It just makes it look more real. But Harrison looks like he's knocked the guy out and he's going to sneak away. But the guy pulls a gun, starts shooting, and Harrison shoots him dead. This leads to a manhunt for Harrison Ford. But he gets away pretty easily. Gary Oldman is very upset, and he wants this ne'er-do-well found. He's going to put the vice president on speakerphone, and he shoots the guy in the face. Yeah, that was a weird thing. So, okay, the guy that gets shot, He was one of the guys, the main guy in the speech scene from earlier that was like, Mr. President, that wasn't in the speech and we shouldn't have said such harsh words towards terrorists because, you know, apparently Americans don't want to fight terrorists anymore. I wasn't aware that was a thing. But he was kind of like a dickish kind of character doubting Harrison Ford and his awesomeness. And he also is one of the characters that kind of talks some shit about Glenn Close He says to Gary Oldman at one point, he's like, oh, you know, maybe I should be the one talking to the White House because, you know, the vice president can't lick a stamp without letting me know or something stupid like that. And it's like, oh, okay, you fucking dickhead. Why are you like they were painting him as like this dickish character. And so logically in movie logic anyway, it would suggest that they let this guy get shot in the face for comeuppance like it just seems like a little much for dickish comeuppance of that magnitude to get blown the fuck away in the face like it just seemed like a little much I mean granted they don't really shy on the uh, murder in this movie (laughs) multiple side characters that we know and like get murdered get murdered yeah it's I mean it's different than some other action movies of this time period yeah so Gary Oldman now takes the wife and daughter upstairs with him to the cockpit. Oh, the cockpit. The cockpit. Oh, do you just like saying cockpit, Scott? Yes, I do enjoy You're like a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> I said cock. While this is going on, Harrison Ford finds a cell phone. And this is 1997. Oh, my God. So not everyone knows how to use a cell phone. When he whips out the user manual you guys i was like i gotta go (laughs) this is the dumbest shit i've ever seen first of all like i would understand if like joe the plumber in 1997 doesn't know how to use a cell phone because they're like newfangled technology and you're joe the plumber like what do you need a cell phone for but when you're the fucking president and you're surrounded by i'm sure secret service agents on cell phones other business people other dignitaries on cell phones cell phones aren't that new in 97 people use them people in higher up situations yeah, I'm sure. You know, they were a sign of uh, opulence. I'm sure he knows how to use like, a fucking cell phone. At least enough to call for help. It felt like the little rascals. Quick, what's the number for 911? Like, we can figure this out without using the manual. But he uses the manual, contacts the White House service desk, says he's the president of the United States, and she goes, I'm the first lady. That was also stupid. Why not just call somebody else? <laughs> Call, like, the actual vice president. Uh, Call somebody with a cell phone. 
Yeah, I don't know. We needed this wah, wah, wah moment. That's the thing. This movie has a random assortment of wah, wah, wah moments. And it's like, why? Literally, wah, wah, why? I don't understand. Are you trying to be funny, Air Force One? Like, literally five minutes after you murdered someone, are you trying to be funny? (laughs) Yeah, we're going to try and get back to normal. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, But Harrison Ford gets found out. They find him, and he sticks the phone in his pocket just as the vice president answers, and he's like, shoot at the plane, you know, and the auto defenses will activate, and wretch us in a weird direction he's basically trying to send a message to the room where it happens without alerting this guy that he has a phone in his hand this guy with the gun on him so he does that and you know the vice president orders the fighter jets around the plane to shoot at the plane which jostles it around and allows harrison ford to once again spider monkey jump on this guy get the gun and you know and choke him to choke him the fuck out yeah the weird vacillation in tone between like silly hijinks with technology and spider monkey fighting and brutal murder and terrorist threats it's like okay we seem to be wanting to be die hard but we don't really have the finesse to be die hard you know what i mean yeah so well now that uh harrison ford has gotten the one up on uh this gunman by choking the living life out of him. Perhaps we should uh, go into one of our favorite segments on the show. The cast could have been. So we've, I think, fully uh, exemplified the, the strength, the power, the grace, the beauty that is President James Marshall, played by Harrison Ford. So now I think we can have a little discussion about the people that almost played President James Marshall in this movie. Originally, the role in Air Force One of the president was written for Kevin Costner, which seems obvious since, you know, he is typical, bland, white guy, nice character man. Yeah, it would have been 97. You could still probably get away with that. Some other actors were considered and then turned it down. John Malkovich was considered for the role, which would have been weird. But it worked out for the best, I think, because he ended up doing Con Air instead. Which is, I think, what he's more... It's more his vibe that he's known for is his role in Con Air. It's It's just like evil psychopath. It's funny because, yeah, if he's the president... That's fucking weird having him and Gary Oldman play off each other. That would have been very interesting. Yeah. I think his career probably would have went in a different direction, really. I think he still would have had work, of course, but I think it might have taken him a while longer to get typecasted into that psycho villainy type role. You yeah. You know what I mean? But also, we had a Gene Hackman who it was considered for the role. Makes sense. But he turned it down saying that the script was quote unquote lousy. Which, um, you know, that's fair, sir. I would not disagree with you. But actually, Kevin Costner was the one that suggested Harrison Ford for the role. And um, although he did take the role, the filmmakers were considering some other names in case Harrison Ford turned it down. So in that list, we had some names like Tommy Lee Jones. Makes sense. Dennis Quaid. Makes sense. Tom Hanks. Makes sense. Keanu Reeves. Okay. Weird. And uh, last but not least, the 90s action king himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger. (sighs) Oh, God. Which would have been doubly funny seeing as how he later became a governor. But uh, yeah, that, that would have been great. Keanu also would have been astounding. I don't really... I mean, this was in the night... This was uh, after, I think, his more, like, beach bum... Yeah. Oh, cool. Excellent, you know, vibe in well, his career. yeah, this is right around yeah. Matrix time. Right. He, he had matured by that point. This was right before the Matrix, a few years, probably. So, uh, yeah. An interesting assortment. Yeah, it would have definitely been interesting. Arnold's, I almost think, too big. Yeah, I really, out of all those, I kind of would like to see Tom Hanks in the role. Tom Hanks would have been good. Because, um, like, the one thing I feel like we haven't seen 
from Tom Hanks. I mean, he usually, nine times out of ten, plays like the good guy, right? That's his vibe. Yeah. But like we haven't seen really like a badass good guy that like kicks ass and takes names. Not to that extent, I feel like. No. The closest thing I think in Tom Hanks' career that would have been like this would probably be Da Vinci Code. But even that's not really badass. <laughs> it's more like clever. So there's some good choices in there that could have worked out well. Particularly, I think Tom Hanks and Dennis Quaid probably would have did a good job with like the balance of... Like I said with Harrison Ford, where he's like badass motherfucker, but also a heartwarming, loving dad. Yeah. Like family man type vibe, you know? Indeed. But yeah, that was the cast could have been. And now let's continue with the uh, trials and tribulations of President James Marshall, a.k.a. Harrison motherfucking Ford. Indeed. So Harrison Ford, while he's on the phone, his vice president and the cabinet all say, you have to figure out a way to bring the plane down. So Harrison gets the bright idea, I'm going to start releasing fuel so the plane eventually has to come down. Uh, Yeah, that I didn't fully understand either because I was like, okay, logically, if you just start leaking fuel from the plane, you don't know what these people are going to do. They might just want to like die for their cause and like let the plane crash into the fucking ocean. Like you don't fucking know. I think he thinks if they're not paying attention, maybe the plane will start to go down and they might be forced to land. Something comes over the loudspeaker. Melanie Mitchell, the press secretary, is being held at gunpoint. It's pretty uh, gruesome listening to Gary Oldman basically like tease her. And the mom and the little girl is there as well, Harrison Ford's family. And um, this, this 12-year-old girl is pretty spunky. I mean, she's, I think, appropriately traumatized by this whole situation. But when Gary Oldman is, like, in her face, she talks right back to him and she's like, you're not a good man. My father's ten times the man you are. Stuff like that. And it's like, ooh, okay. If I were a 12-year-old girl and a grown-ass terrorist man was holding a gun to my face, I'd probably, you know, be a little more shutting the fuck up. But, I mean, give the girl credit, I guess. She's Harrison Ford's daughter. I mean, fair, fair. But she's 12. I mean, it's, it's a little unbelievable, but that's, like, probably the least unbelievable thing out of all the unbelievable things that happened in this movie yeah but so i'll allow it is what i'm saying exactly (laughs) gary oldman on the loudspeaker goes hey because he thinks harrison ford's a secret service member give yourself up and i won't shoot this press secretary in the face you have 10 seconds harrison doesn't give himself up and melly mitchell gets shot in the face yeah, and that was cool, too, because you, you genuinely didn't know if he was going to give himself up or not. That's the thing. Because he definitely thinks about it. Yeah. It, it's one of those situations where, like, either way, you're fucked. So, like, are you going to do that? Are you going to give yourself up and expose yourself? Or are you going to stay hidden and this girl's going to die, but you have a chance to save everybody else? You genuinely didn't know what was going to happen, which is something when you talk about an action movie, particularly in the 90s. They all kind of had their formulaic thing going on, you know? Yes, but Harrison does get to drop on some guards when he shuts the lights off. Spider monkey. Spider monkey, indeed. And he does get to the hostages who are like, the president. (gasps) The president is here to save us. And he goes, okay. This this is great, you guys. Please, Scott. Oh, my God. This, again, is more logical fuckery. Tell, Tell the story. Tell the story about the fax machine, Scott. We need to figure out how to get a message to somebody. Like, I've tried the phones, but they have control of the phones. And one of, (laughs) I guess, one of the secretaries comes up and goes, but they didn't take control of the fax machines because they're on two different lines. So we can fax something to the White House. And he goes, you're a genius. Come with me. You're a genius, uh, young black woman who I've just met just now and has just now been introduced into the story. You are our new favorite side character. Please come with me. And they sneak off into some room and fax a message to the White House. And in my mind, I'm like, bro. The amount of situations in general, in real life and on film, that have been saved... By a fax machine. I can guarantee, I, I, I would bet dollars. dollars to donuts 
that this is, if not the only one, one of like five. Like I'm sure I could count on one hand the amount of movies or real life situations that have been saved by a fax machine. The only other movie I can really think of that... A fax machine, Scott. Let's let that sink in. That technology, it exists today. Does anyone use it? When's the last time anyone out there used a fax machine? I'll wait. I'll wait. Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) The last... Fax machine. What I want to know is, who are you faxing? Who's that dinosaur on the other end of that thing? The last movie I even remember a fax machine being like relevant in was Scream Free. Oh my lord. We're going to fax the White House. And why is the... Because isn't it connected to the phone lines? No, they are on two different connections. She says that. But normally, that, yes. normally, sir, the fax machine and the phone line is connect... Like they're two different numbers, but you, it's, you have, it's calling, like you have to call the different fax machine to send them. It's a phone line. Why is that one separate from the, it doesn't make any sense. Why is that also not shut down? It doesn't make any sense, but the movie has to happen. You know what I mean? The president and William H. Macy, they, they take one bad guy hostage and the rest of the cabinet and the people who are on Air Force One get to the parachute bay oh my God. of Air Force One. You guys. And I can't. They start jumping off the plane and <sighs> parachutes start shooting out. And they're counting them like 27, 28, 29 people have jumped out of Air Force One. And finally, the only people who are left are Guilfoyle, Harrison Ford, William H. Macy. And another guy and the terrorists find them. Oh, Gibbs. Gibbs is out there. Gibbs is out there. Remember Gibbs, guys? They keep panning to Gibbs throughout the movie like he's important for some reason. But he literally does nothing at all in the movie uh, after the beginning stuff where he helps the terrorists. And then at the very end, it's so stupid. But anyway, what I will mention about this parachute scene. While I love William H. Macy for coming up with this magical plan to save some of the hostages and all, because like it makes William H. Macy's character relevant in this movie now, which is great. The parachute scene itself, where all these people are jumping out of the plane on the parachutes, is just magical. The score becomes like a tittering little like magical moment, like straight out of like Peter fucking Pan or something. And then literally like the second these people jump out of the plane they open their shoes which i'm not an expert never have i ever sky dove before but i'm pretty sure you're not supposed to open the chute for a minute which would have been nice if like you know they just added in like a william h macy line to the hostages being like okay just like count to 100 and then pull the cord okay guys well well, he does say that he does say wait like 10 seconds well they don't (laughs) no they (laughs) They don't don't at all no they don't at all i mean the cgi's it just looks like a magical mystery tour of just like floating little marshmallow people in the sky because that's how shitty the cg is like these parachutes literally look like little marshmallows that these people are floating down in and just like admiring the night sky as they float to the ground and it's like that's not how this would be <laughs> well we, we do see our fax machine lady she did get out yes safe. we acknowledge that the fax machine lady that we met for all of like a minute and said she was proud to be working for harrison ford president we acknowledge she got out at least and we are happy about that but then the terrorists blow open the door causing one guy to just fall to his death Oh, God, yeah, a couple of guys fall out with no parachute. And it's like, whoa, okay, that's mm, that's sad. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> but Harrison Ford almost falls out, but William H. Macy grabs him and is like, I have to get him. He's the president. And they bring Harrison Ford back onto the plane. That was kind of funny. And Gibbs, the secret bad guy, is there. And it's like, he's helping them. And it's like, okay, but if you are the bad guy, I mean... I don't understand his purpose there at all. No. He, he's no purpose at all there. We realize his purpose when it gets to the end of the movie and the second climax begins, which stars that guy. 
but for some reason throughout the entire movie it's like the movie doesn't want us to forget that he exists so they keep panning to him at random times like oh remember this guy he's gonna come later remember he's bad it's like okay jesus christ can you like do something that's bad or like useful at all to this plot Oh, so finally the terrorists bring the president up to the cockpit where he reunites with his family. He's like, you're both alive. Thank God. Yeah. And then Gary Oldman proceeds to tape his hands behind his back and beat the shit out of him. Yeah, it's pretty visceral, I gotta say. At one point, (laughs) Gary Oldman, like, smashes his head against the wall in the cockpit with all these buttons everywhere. And I'm just like, dude, okay, that like looks like a great shot and everything, but you don't know what any of those buttons do. Like, do you really think that's a good idea? <laughs> like you could just like, oh, plane off. Like it just, just fall from the sky. You don't know. But I will say this is the point in the movie where I was like, oh, Harrison Ford, you're like really acting in this movie. Like you're like really pulling out a performance here because at one point Gary Oldman is is threatening his wife at one point he grabs Alice the daughter and is holding a gun literally to her head and is like you need to call the Russian president and have him release Radic and he's you know saying all this crazy stuff and grabbing his daughter and he starts crying and like you don't want them you want me and the whole interaction between them is so epic because both these actors are really intense and awesome but just like the emotion you get out of him harrison ford in this particular sequence you know it really reminds you like oh harrison ford when he gives a fuck he can really give all the fucks yeah and again does a great job he's always thinking on his feet because yes he does find some broken glass and is trying to cut his binds that are behind him during this whole thing but he does agree to call the Russian president to release Radic just so Oldman will not shoot his wife or his daughter. The president agrees to release Radic. There is also Glenn Close has a paper given to her by fucking Dean Stockwell saying that they can declare the president basically unfit to serve because he is stuck in a terrorist situation giving Glenn Close or Dean Stockwell, both of them, power to make decisions so General Raddick is not released. It would basically be releasing Harrison Ford of his duty because both him and his family are being held hostage. So he's not acting as a president. He's acting as a a hostage and a father, right? So, again, if it gave enough of a fuck to focus on it, the movie, it would be posing a very interesting question of, like, what you would do in that particular situation but it kind of tries to just stick to the black and white of like dean stockwell bad guy and glenn close and harrison ford good guys which i mean isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world but it does kind of pose an interesting moral question or governmental question there however uh you know Glenn Close, she does have herself a moment there sitting there and looking at the paper and she's like, no, I won't do it. I can't sign that because she trusts her president to get the job done. God damn it. Yes. And does the president do that? Yeah, he cuts himself free and he starts fighting and he shoots the Russian pilot in the head and Gary Oldman immediately's like, oh, fuck, and pieces downstairs. Oh, with the wife. With the wife. He's got the wife at gunpoint. And Harrison Ford finally frees his daughter. He's like, you're okay, right? You're good? Okay. I'm going to go get your mother, basically. Stay here with William H. Macy. Well, and the one of the oh, yeah. guys Gil- gets shot. Yes. Guilfoyle gets shot. Yeah, Guilfoyle does jump in front of the president, saving his life. But he's a good guy, so he manages to live. So that's good, I guess. At least you hope so. We don't know afterwards. He's well, pretty fucked the, up. At the end of the movie, he's pretty terribly injured, but he's still alive. So I would hope that they make him live at the end because they kept him alive throughout the end of the movie. So You, you find out in Air Force 1, 2. <laughs> Air Force 2, Scott. <laughs> Air Force 2. No, I like Air Force 1, 2. No, that doesn't make any sense, well, it's Scott. Air Force. Nothing <laughs> makes any sense. Uh, anyway, Gary Oldman drags the wife... Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot her name. Grace, excuse I shouldn't call her the wife. That's yes. that's not feminist of me. How dare I? He drags Grace to the parachute bay 
I guess because he's gonna just try to like get the fuck out of there. Yeah, well, he's throwing all the other parachutes off because there's now no one who can fly the plane. Right, he's trying to get the fuck out, and, and he's uh, like, "Peace, Mr. President, we're done here. I'm gonna get off, and there's nothing you can do about it." And Grace fucking elbows him, and yeah, she's spider badass. monkey jump onto yep. Gary Oldman. Uh huh. He does the spider monkey jump. Grace grabs the gun and is like holding it towards the two of them. And then as they're fighting, I'm like, oh, this is it, right, Scott? It's coming, it's coming. He's like, yep, here it comes. And then Gary Oldman is over Harrison Ford, grabbing him. And Harrison Ford just looks up at him and says, get off my plane. And then somehow, I don't know exactly how this happened. Maybe Scott can explain. But somehow fucking Gary Oldman got his ass strangled and then flew out of the goddamn plane. So what happens is, there's a thing attached to a metal bar and he wraps it around Oldman's neck as they're like jostling and he shoots out Oldman's parachute. So now he's getting pulled backwards and then Harrison Ford looks at him, get off my plane, throws him. The thing wrapped around his neck tightens to the bar and breaks his neck and then eventually rolls off and he flies out with a broken neck. Yeah, they show like a CGI image of him just kind of floating down with the, his broken ass neck. And you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, are we trying to be funny now? Are we trying to be gross? Like, I don't know. It's just this movie has a lot of varying tones, I guess, that it's trying to send. But um, I'm picking up on some of them, not all of them necessarily. So, OK, in a normal action movie, right? This is it. This is the end. The plan, you know, of course, now we have Harrison Ford landing the fucking plane because why not? He's basically single handedly saved over 50 people that were on this plane from a terrorist faction. Sure. He calls back the Russian president and says the terrorists are done so you can go get Radic now. They try to recapture him but then he tries to run so they shoot his ass. So Radic's dead now. Great. Hallelujah, right? So the bad guys are dead. Harrison Ford's going to land the plane. William H. Macy is co-piloting. Everybody's safe. Holla freaking Luya, right? This is where the movie ends. Nope. Nope. Now nope. the Kazakhstan army that was loyal to Radic sends fighter jets to shoot down Air Force One. Oh. There's a whole dogfight in the sky. Oh, my God. Air Force One gets damaged. Irreparably uh, damaged to the point where this plane's going to crash and we're all going to die unless we, we get- can save the fucking passengers and get another plane. At this point, Frankie checked the fuck out. Frankie was like, oh, what a lovely action movie we just watched. Gary Oldman was the bad guy. Gary Oldman was extinguished. Therefore, the movie is done. Hallelujah. As I said before, hallelujah, the movie is done. I'm done. I've had enough. I've had my fill. Like, if it weren't for Harrison Ford, this whole second climax that we're about to go through, it would have brought the movie down a whole ass half point for me, if not a full point. Like, I was just very over this needlessly stupid, unnecessary second climax. Continue, Scott. So they finally get a plane. They're sending people over, and Harrison Ford's like, take him, he's hurt. Take this person off the plane. Take this person off the plane. Finally, as the plane is going down, they're like, we can only make one more trip. And William H. Macy's like, it's William H. Macy, Harrison Ford, and Gibbs left. And William H. Macy goes, sir, you're the president. Get the fuck off this plane. Oh, William H. Macy. God bless. And Gibbs pulls a gun and shoots William H. Macy in the chest. No. Why? And William H. Macy goes, it was you. Oh, there was literally no reason for that, you fucks. You just wanted to kill William H. Macy. Why? And then finally it's revealed that Gibbs is the secret agent man. Oh, no. He's the super secret bad guy. Oh, my God. I'm so shocked. Yeah. And then Harrison Ford spider monkeys the fuck out of him. And then Harrison Ford escapes and he gets on the second plane. And then that plane becomes Air Force One. They should have called it Air Force Two. That would have been funny. (laughs) But but the important thing is the original plane, the original Air Force One, 
tumbles down into the sea in a terrible CGI sequence and fuckface Gibbs dies horribly without us ever knowing why he did this, what his problem was or is or will ever be. And now we're done. I was like, oh no, is there a third climax coming? No, we're good now? Okay, hallelujah. The movie is done. Is there anything else that I'm missing nope. at the end here? That's no? basically That's pretty much everybody it. cheers. It's Yay, Harrison Ford, president. Awesome. Yay. Do you agree with me that the second climax is stupid? It is. Like Is there any merit to it that you want to uh add in? Like, here? no, it it does seem a little much. Especially after you've killed Gary Oldman. Yeah, you've you've introduced this bad guy that you're like, we have to get rid of him somehow. But, like, that could have been done in the original climax of having him turn somehow. Yeah. Uh, because, again, we never really find out why. Yeah, and, like, he does that little thing in the beginning. And then he doesn't do anything throughout the whole, like, middle of chunk movie. of the movie until the very end. So it's like, what? He comes out of fucking nowhere. And, again, you don't know why he's doing it. And... Because he could have gotten away with this whole thing. Yeah. He literally could have gotten away with it. He could have died a hero or he could have like, I don't know. He could have tried Kept to guilt his job. The, he could have tried to guilt the president to let, I have a family and let him get off the plane. I don't know. But like, you could have got away with it, sir. If it weren't for your pesky terrorist friends. I don't understand you. It seemed very much like maybe like a studio note. Like, oh, there's not enough here. We need another villain. Like, maybe it would have been cool if Gibbs ended up being, like, the mastermind behind this whole thing. Maybe. Or if there was some kind of, like, something else that he did some yeah. point in the midst of the movie that... Made it all connect. Yeah. There was just nothing there. Because they, they kept cutting to him, like, and you're like, because Harrison Ford gives him a gun, the camera cuts to him, and but there's nothing there. Yeah. Honestly, because this movie is two hours and four minutes, if you cut this whole... Which also, why? If you cut this whole part, the movie drops down to probably an hour fifty, which is perfect. It's, yeah, it, there's literally no reason for this second climax at all, whatsoever. You could have had William H. Macy live, guys. But even if he doesn't live, even if he's like... no what, no know what, reason. He's like, know what, Mr. President... He makes the sacrifice at the end. Know what, Mr. President? Yeah, you got to go. You could have did that. And that would have been, fine. and you would have been like, yeah, William H. Macy. And he goes down with the ship, and it would have been a beautiful, poignant moment. To, but no, instead, you have to have this fucking Gibbs guy just come out of the woodwork to do what? Like, like we're not scared of you, sir. You're just a guy. And you don't do anything. And then you're like, oh, I'm a bad guy, too. Gary Oldman's not as cool as me. Pay attention to me. Like, it's weird. I don't get it. It kind of put like a sour note a little bit on the end of the movie, which was unfortunate. But yeah, I don't know. It had a an interesting taste in my mouth after that second climax. Let's just say that. I, I understand. But that is Air Force One. Yay. Okay, so what was your rating of this movie, Scott? Before you rewatched it and after? Before I rewatched it, I had it as a four out of five. Ugh. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I knocked it down to a three and a half out of five. All right. I do admit the second climax is a little fucking too much. I didn't even remember, honestly, the second climax. There's a reason for that, Scott. You know why? Because it's dumb. I mean, the whole movie's dumb, but, like, it's a special kind of dumb. <laughs> but, An unnecessary dumb. But, like... A pointless dumb. I enjoy Gary Oldman. I enjoyed Harrison Ford. I think everybody else does a good job for a fun action movie. It's just like this whole second climax kind of just like, ugh. It makes the movie a little too long. It adds nothing to it. Like Gary Oldman could have easily shot a couple of people taking over the plane and you're like, okay, cool. So here's my thing. I was stuck on how to rate this baby I was stuck between a three and a three and a half I think that the performances are are well the, the performances are good Gary Oldman it, this is not my favorite performance of his I mean there were points especially towards the end of the movie where he was doing a lot of yelling you know because you know you're the main bad guy and your back's up against the wall and you start yelling right but the thing is when 
at least in this movie, when he started doing the yelling thing, you know, um, his accent, which was, from what I understood for most of the movie, supposed to be um, Russian, it turned into more like a southerny, Cajun-y thing, and I didn't really comprehend that. However, it's Gary Oldman, so I'm not going to judge him too harshly. I'll just say it's not my best performance of his, right? Now, when it comes to Harrison Ford and Glenn Close, I kind of wish they did more with Glenn Close and kind of just foregone some of the like paper thin side characters and focus a little more on the meat and potatoes of Glenn Close and her issues trying to keep everything together down on the ground you know what I mean I feel like that would have been more compelling Harrison Ford like I said I feel like he perfectly balanced the badassery with the heartfeltness the heartfeltness really reached a point where I had never seen Harrison Ford go previously in my experience with him in movies so I, I was pleasantly surprised by that actually to see actual tears falling from his eyes really it moved me in a way I wasn't expecting and it's because of that and that alone If I could, in Letterboxd, I would give it a 3.25. However, I decided to round up due to my love of Harrison Ford. And I gave the movie a three and a half out of five. A very light three and a half out of five. A very minute three and a half out of five. You might find it in the diet section of three and a half out of five. out of five. Yes, precisely, sir. But overall... Again, three and a half out of five. It's a fun action movie for the most part. But yeah, that was Air Force One. Um, so next week, we will be watching a very summary film. A weird summary film that I will be showing to Scott. A film that I actually watched for the first time, like I want to say like maybe a year ago. Like not that long ago. But I watched it thinking it was going to be a so bad it's good situation. And I wouldn't say it's that. I wouldn't say it's, like, amazing, but I would say that it's a fun summer movie watch that confused and titillated me to a certain degree that I had to share with Scott. So I'm excited to get into that. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at ShootTheFlick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our summertastic, sunny, shiny movie adventure. Get off my podcast. Oh, no. Ticket for an aeroplane Ain't got time to take a fast train Long